We've got our finger on the pulse. We're Business Now, AsiaPacific.com. Today, Blake Christian joins us from Holthouse, Carlin and Van Trite, talking about business and taxation. We're also joined by Bob Catter from Catter's Australian Party. Well, it's that taxing time of the week again, the time we look forward to immensely. Blake Christian from Holthouse, Carlin and Van Trite. Talking about tax, um, what are the tax issues small business owners should be aware of to ensure the optimal tax structure? Well, anybody going into business uh, hopes to have profits. So you um, you, you want to look at a uh, what the, the taxes you're going to pay when you are profitable. You may have um, some losses when you start off, but uh, the marginal tax rate of what you're going to pay when you're um, up and mature is uh, what should dictate how how you set up your business and things. And different legal entities have different tax rates. We spoke about entrepreneurs and taxation last time, but what about small business in general? Is the U.S. tax code small business friendly? And if it is, will it be if Joe Biden gets in? Well, uh, the 2017 Tax Act that came in under the Trump administration uh, became much much more business friendly to small businesses as well as large international. Uh, small businesses in the U.S. are typically uh, limited liability, set up as limited liability companies, and then you can um, tax those as either a partnership or an S corp. Those are the the two in that order. That's that's uh, the the highest probability of how they're set up. So. Um, and, and the benefit of that is the income flows out to the individual owner and uh, that individual pays tax, whereas in a C-Corp, which is kind of, you know, the Googles of the world, IBM, et cetera, those types of entities get taxed first at the entity level, and then when they pay out distributions or other amounts, those are taxed again at the individual level. So from a tax efficiency standpoint, most small businesses are either LLC partnerships or S corps. What about if Biden gets in? Will this change? Um, yes, he's already said that. So, so one of the one of the things in a um, in a LLC tax as a partnership or an S corp, uh, only eighty percent of the income is taxed. So, rather than paying a thirty seven percent. Uh, maximum tax rate, uh, most people pay at about 29%. It's 80% of that 37%. Um, certain, you know, high, you know, you can have somebody with a small business that's making a million, $2 million, and uh, it phases out. But uh, for the most part, that 20% uh, qualified business uh, deduction that's allowed under the uh, the Trump administration uh, would be removed under a um, uh, a Biden administration. Mm. He, he may leave it for some limited people, but for the most part, it's gone. How does a small business ensure it pays a minimal amount of tax? And that's, I suppose, part of running a good business is to minimize your, your taxation. So how does a small business ensure this? They hire me. Superman, the superhero. But but say, for they, example, uh, if you weren't there, how would they do it? They, they, would, they would hire a, a good CPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you bring up a great, great point, Mike, that uh, if you, you know, if you look at it and you said, hey, you know, would you like to pay 40 percent more uh, for an item, uh, you know, an expense item, rent, uh, supplies, etc.? People are going to you know, scream at you, you know, how, how silly is that? But if, you know, without proper planning, you know, a combined federal and state rate, you're, you know, you're easily paying 40% uh, more than you need to. So you should should know all the, the tax, uh, tax breaks that you can get as a small business. What structures do most small businesses choose? Again, you know, for the most part, uh, about 90% of our clients are either... LLC partnerships uh, or S corps, and what's nice about the LLC format is, from year to year, with some limitations, you can you can switch. Um, you know, you can go from being an LLC to an S corp or to a C corp. 
uh, et cetera, without having to liquidate and, and reform the business. So it's it's a very, very flexible structure uh, in the U.S., uh, the LLC um, um, you know, platform. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, and then the rest of them, uh, you know, I mean, you can also have a co-op, you can operate as a trust, you can operate, uh, as a C corp. And, uh, now we do, we do have, uh, some of our clients that have, you know, various operations. Uh, sometimes we'll stick a C corp into the mix because that C corp only gets taxed at a 21% rate, Rather than um, a uh, and that's a flat rate uh, versus the the maximum rate for an individual at thirty seven percent. So so C corp uh, does have its place, but it, as I mentioned earlier, when that income is distributed out, uh, you pay a, another layer of tax. It usually usually it's at a fifteen percent capital gain rate. Um, uh, just just because of the way the tax law is structured, uh, but still you, you do have to factor in that double taxation with the C corp. How does a business determine what type of structure is the right one for them? Well, it it, it does. Um, you know, it, it actually changes over time, and so that's why uh, the CPA needs to ask a lot of questions. Um, so, what's a, a fairly common fact pattern is you come to me. Uh, you know, I, I start asking you, you know, what what is your, you know, what's your startup losses? You know, how how long will it take you to become profitable? And so we, that's where we, you know, and you say, well, I'm gonna, you know, for the first year, I'm gonna have losses because I just am not gonna have enough revenue to cover my rent and my, you know, employee wages and things. But then I'm, you know, then I'm projecting profits. So that's where we'd normally set you up again as an LLC or a partnership. Um, those those startup losses would flow out to you, be reported on your personal return. You could claim those losses, and then when you become profitable, we might chain convert you to a C corporation, depending on the type of business that you are. And and now, after we've used up those startup losses, we only pay tax at a twenty one percent rate. Uh, but the other question I would ask you is, if you in that situation, if you were going to build up capital in the in the C corp. That makes a lot of sense, but if you said, told me, oh no, I'm going to be stripping out all the profits every year, then I would probably tell you to be a, uh, an S corp because um, then then you you wouldn't have the double taxation. You would have already paid tax on the on the core business, and you can pull all that income out without a second layer of tax. Are there other considerations than tax? Uh, yeah, th- there's there's legal. Um, legal issues, and then there's state issues. Um, for example, in uh, in California, they mo- most states don't tax impose a state tax on the uh, S corp earnings. California uh, imposes a, a a tax of 1.5 percent on the net income, and then they also have a gross receipts tax. And so we we try and avoid um, well actually the gross receipts tax is on the LLC um, so sometimes we'll set up a, a general partnership instead of an LLC and then you cap out your um, your annual fee at eight eight hundred dollars rather than it being up to about twelve thousand dollars. Do all businesses uh, pay both state and federal tax no matter where they are? Uh, that's can be a, a little bit of a tricky question. It's uh, there's a concept called uh, business nexus, and most states will um, will tax you if you either have uh, employees, sometimes independent contractors that are physically located in that state, even though you may not have a business location there, or if you had say a warehouse and had inventory there. That would uh, cause you to have nexus in most states, um, or if you register in that state uh, to access, say, the court system and things. Now, in the last few years, and this is a very complex and contentious area, is because of all of the the, the web-based sales and things. Um, you know, both sales tax and income tax 
are being much more aggressively pursued by the states uh, just by you, you can have what's called economic nexus. So uh, generally, if you have each state has a little bit different criteria, but as a general rule, if you have more than a than 500,000 uh, in, in um, gross sales uh, to a to a state that you're not normally operating in, they'll they'll do two things. They'll impose sales tax on your customers uh, in those states. Uh, it used to be you would you would dodge sales tax, which made it very attractive. And then um, oftentimes that will also trigger the income tax. Um, but uh, again, it, it gets very, very fact specific and each state's a little bit different. And that's why we have a whole a state and local tax practice uh, with about 25 people in it that that's all they do because it's, it's a very complex area. What should people do, though, if they want to know whether they have the right business structure? I would imagine contact a very good CPA um, or just a CPA. Right. And, and I, I would, you know, it's, you know, it's one of those things where um, clients, you know, business people, it's just like going to the doctor. You know, you can't just go in there and not tell them anything and say, how am I doing? Uh, they, they can uh, analyze you to a certain degree, but you got to tell them, you know, what, you know, what issues you have. So, um, you know, you should be asking, small business owners should be asking their um, their advisors, am I set up properly? Both, they should be asking their attorney as well as their CPA every year, initiate that discussion and say, hey, you know, things have changed. I've, I've opened, uh, you know, another location. Uh, am I still structured properly? I, you know, I've doubled my sales. You know, should I do anything differently? And, and all those little tweaks in your fact pattern can um, you know sometimes trigger you to um, to to change your legal structure a bit? It's uh, tentative times uh, with the uh, federal election or the presidential election next week, next uh, Tuesday. Um, how the how are your clients at the moment? Are they a little nervy or just wait and see? And yourself, how do, how do you feel that what what do you what do you think might happen um, on um, November the uh, the third. Well, uh, we'll we'll start there. So um, I, I know all the polls are are um, indicating uh, a Biden win. So I'm going to stick my neck out. Uh, but I, I, you know, we have the electoral college over here, which is a very complex uh, process, and uh, the popular vote doesn't um, determine the presidency. The electoral college does, and it's been around for 240 years was not uh, complained about at all until um, the 2016 election. But um, a lot of the uh, reports that I've been looking at, uh, which the press doesn't, is that, um, you know, it, it, it is, it's, it's very possible for Trump uh, to win with the Electoral College. And, and it may not be a very close race uh, as, as uh, the... Uh, press is talking about. So I, I, I'm not going to be surprised um, to see it be very similar to uh, the 2016 election and him, him lose the uh, popular vote, but uh, dominate on the electoral college. Um, my clients, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're surprisingly um, quiet right at the moment with respect to I don't have any clients panicking what should I do before the election what should I do but but a lot of them are are waiting um, and will be caught they told me you know I'll be calling you after the election so if Biden gets in uh, from a CPA standpoint um, it's 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 going to be a, a gold mine because mm-hmm. um, every we're gonna have to redo everybody's tax planning uh, people are going to do a heck of a lot of year-end planning mm. this year. So um, if I look at it on an economic basis, I should be rooting for uh, for Biden. But um, I'll, I'll forego the extra um, fees and, um, and and hope that we, we have the status quo. Mm. Blake Christian from Holthouse, Carlin and Van Trite or hcvt.com. Thank you very much. 
Great to see you. Bob Catter has been a member of the House of Representatives since 1993. He was previously in Queensland state politics from 1974 to 1992. Bob was a member of the National Party until 2001 when he left to sit as an independent. He formed his own party, Catter's Australian Party, in 2011. Bob Catter, it's a pleasure meeting you. Great honour to be on your program. Now, Queensland and far north Queensland could be doing a lot better. How long do you think it will take for tourism and small business in your electorate to recover from the shutdowns and these just terrible border closures? I I don't think we're going to recover in the foreseeable future. Um, Our tourism in north Queensland, um, Ellie Beach and um, Cairns um, and all the surrounding areas, Mission Beach, um, Mackay, um, uh, they depend upon overseas tourism in the main, and um, that's just simply not going to come back in the foreseeable future. So particularly Cairns, which was built entirely on overseas tourism, um, we're suffering greatly. Uh, <clears throat> but um, I just was so disappointed in the budget. I spoke to Josh Frydenberg and nicer, better bloke, you'll never find the Josh, but he just went to university too long, <laughs> or he went to university, mm. that's his problem, and um, and uh, there's not one single dollar for a make money project, they're all absorb money projects, so what? instead of dams mm. and <clears throat> um, petrol refineries and ethanol and uh, um um, industry and agriculture. Uh, all there is is the usual hurdy-gurdy, some merry-go-rounds, the ring roads around the Sydney airport, and you know, um, twenty-lane highways to the Gold Coast, and all the usual rubbish, which is very nice, mm. except it does not create a single job, and it does not earn this country a single dollar, uh, and it is not developing the real economy, it is actually becoming a burden upon the real economy because the upkeep on those pleasure domes and hurdy-gurdies and self-gratification items, you've got to keep paying for forever. Those football stadiums will never make money. They just have to money, public money's pumped in all the time. What do you think needs to be done right now then to speed business recovery? If you build a rail line into the Galilee, Half Australia's coal, thermal coal, the vast bulk of our coal is thermal coal. Half Australia's thermal coal is in the Galilee. All you have to do is build a railway line. Now, Adani opens one mine. Like, I don't, there might be 100, 100, you know, stakeholders in the Galilee. Um, there's most certainly 20, 30, 40 really big stakeholders in the Galilee. Um, GVK, China Iron associated with China First, which Palmer's associated with China Stone, which is a Chinese company, Resolve, which is an Australian company, and uh, there are further Australian companies north of Resolve. But they can't open unless they've got a railway line. They don't have a railway line. And Danny's not going to let them use his railway line. He say he will, but he won't. What aspects of the federal budget then were most positive for uh, North Queensland? I don't think there's anything positive in there at all. Um, <clears throat> I, mean, I deeply appreciate the, the money for the approaches to uh, Cairns. Uh, personally, I did extremely well out of it. Uh, I get a lot of votes out of it. But uh, is there a single job created? No. In fact, the specifics that were in the last budget for dams are not there now. There's just a global item of 2,000 million over 10 years which, excuse my crude language, is simply percent nothing. Um, we burnt up a thousand million looking at dam schemes. We have not got a single engineering report. And the only dam that will have been built in Queensland in 31 years is the Charters Towers Weir, which I got from the nine days I had the balance of power. Now, uh, if we get the balance of power in Queensland, there's every likelihood that uh, we will demand 5,000 million and we'll build the rail line in the galley 
We'll build Hell's Gate Dam as stage one to the mighty Bradfield scheme, which will be a development scheme for North Queensland um, and Australia and Australia. Um, and we'll build the copper string transmission line to the northwest minimal province. Now, you know, I mean, they bought, they haven't built transmission line into the Ord and into Olympic Dam. Now, that does not create an extra job. It just makes more, will enable the companies there to make more money. They're all foreign companies, except Fortescue. Um, so I don't know, the nine or ten companies there, they're all foreign-owned, except for Fortescue. So the benefit, that massive benefit for those transmission lines went overseas. Um, they won't open up any new mines as a result of that. If you do it in the Northwest Mineral Province, you'll open up three massive mines that can't open up without grid system power. Expensive as it is, it's still half the cost of diesel or, or um, gas-fired power stations. Mm. Um, so no transmission line, no new mines. So you built two transmission lines and you won't get a single mine as a result of that. Again, I just cannot understand how you can run a government and constantly take the taxpayers' money and spend it on golden handshakes for foreign corporations mm -hmm. and buying votes. And that's about all it is. Golden handshakes for your supporters and your foreign corporations that you're associated with and um, buying votes. That's your budget. And that's been the budget for the last 30 years since Doug Anthony left the scene federally and since Jockey Peterson was stabbed in the back by his own mob uh, in 1990. How many North Queensland dams, uh, Bob, do you see commencing well, in we, the next five years, say? Well, we've got the, the biggest river in Australia is the Mitchell River, mm -hmm. and there's not one single drop of water being used in the Mitchell River. Not a drop. Mm. Matter of fact, it's not even used for cattle because they get fenced off because of crocodiles. So that's the Mitchell, the biggest river in Australia. Murray Darling's number two. Number three is the Burdekin. And yeah, we do have one dam that was built 30, 35 years ago, I think, uh, on the uh, Burdekin, but it's just one dam. I mean, on the Murray Darling, which isn't all that much bigger than the Burdekin, um, they might have 200 dams. Well, we've only got one dam on the, mm. on the Burdekin. Mm. Um, when you build a dam, uh, they built one at Griffith, they built one at Emerald, they built one at Mareeba. Each of those towns was under 1,500 people. Each of those towns now is over 20,000 people. Um, and the productivity coming out of them is massive. So when they say a dam doesn't pay for itself, as an investment in tax creation, it is magical. Take Emerald, it costs home $45 million and it brings in $300 million a year in tax revenue each year, mm. each year. With both state governments appearing to support the new Bradfield scheme in their state election campaigns, do you um, think it will actually get up or is this just the no, usual no. every couple of years promise, promise, promise? Yeah. yeah. The revised Bradfield scheme, which is a proposal, and um, the Liberal leader used the word new Bradfield scheme, but nobody knows what it is. Mm. But uh, Barnaby Joyce said it's wonderful because it'll give them water and the Murray-Darling. Well, that'll just make up for the environmental flows. It won't create a single extra job, and it most certainly won't create any jobs in Queensland. Um, <clears throat> um, and when I say that, yeah. Right along the New South Wales border, there might be some jobs there. But as for the northern half of the state, we get absolutely nothing out of it. So the new Bradfield scheme, um, spit on it, spit on it. Mm. Uh, you're just uh, another piece of machinery to suit the Greens. And uh, that's probably why she won't tell us uh, what it's about. I mean, A, she doesn't understand it, of course the lady in charge of the Liberal Party here. She has no idea what she's talking about. And um, B, um, maybe 
she does already know that the proposal is to send water to the Murray-Darling to um, fill in the gaps created by the environmental flows. Uh, and I think all that will happen will be, it'll just be more mm. environmental flows. Mm. Um, so the water will go in from a fair and, and it will go into the ocean down there as environmental flows. But all I can do is quote the member for New South Wales and good on him looking, fighting for his electorate. And, um, and he should know, and that's what he said. But uh, as far as um, no one has any idea what she's talking about, but we just uh, put the diorama for a communal program uh, showing exactly what the revised Bradfield scheme, and that was a scheme agreed to by the Bajorka uh, <coughs> Peterson government, announced the scheme and did the giant consortium report um, um, uh, outlining uh, the engineering plan and proposals mm. to go ahead. And um, the federal government, Malcolm Fraser, um, uh, was responsible for that consortium report as well. And everyone knows that's the revised Bradfield scheme. And everyone knows you use that water on the magnificent Black Soil Plain, which covers all of north and central Queensland. And uh, that's where the water's to go. You can farm for eight, nine, ten years without using fertiliser. It's the richest source in the world. Um, and, um, and that's the revised Bradfield scheme. New Bradfield scheme, well, no one knows what the hell it is. Uh, uh, the original Bradfield scheme was to fill Lake Air with water and make it rain in central Australia. But uh, who only knows what um, the Liberal ladies running around. And, but, you know, I've got to say, it's very satisfying for me. Um, I was the original, um, one of the original three that dropped a vice Bradfield scheme. And um, it's very heartening for me that uh, we've got, you know, one nation talking about it. Uh, Palmer, well, he's in a little tiny party, but he, he's talking about it. Um, we've got uh, the Liberal Party and the Labor Party uh, both saying they're in favour of it. Um, but uh, there's no commitment of money except $48 million I got when I had the um, balance of power, uh, $48 million that I got. Mm. Uh, and that's all that's gone there. And they've already made a decision to give it back to SMEC. And uh, their proposal for the dam at Hellsgate completely destroys Bradfield forever. So you've got the Liberal Party lady running around saying she's going to build it. Um, and you've got the Federal Liberal Party already um, working on the premise that it will never be built. Uh, their dam is around 20 metres at Hellsgate, needs to be 400 metres mm. to have Bradfield. It's around 20 metres. Townsville gets no water, but infinitely more importantly, Bradfield is destroyed mm. forever. What are the environmental arguments then against the scheme? Um, well, it's sort of funny, you know, because. Um, there's, there's, there's no real environmental arguments. The water goes into what's called the, the major central irrigation area. It's actually on this side of the Great Dividing Range, on the eastern side of the Great Dividing Range, where I am now. Mm. Um, and um, But it's an area there's no runoff. It's called the, um, the up, up, Uplands Desert. Um, and the reason that it's there is because there's no Great Dividing Range. In mm. fact, there's a lake where there should be a Great Dividing Range. So um, runoff from the farms, well, there will hardly be any runoff from the farms. It'll divert a million megalitres um, out of the Burdekin River, which won't make much difference or anything. The Burdekin River is a flood river, so it just has a massive flood, and the only difference that the environment's going to know, or nature's going to know, is that the floods won't be quite as horrific and devastating. The floods will be a little, little bit more restrained. Mm. That's the only difference. Start of the year, you'll have a flood. At the end of the year, you'll have a dry river bed. That's the situation with the Burdekin. The northern rivers, the amount of water you're taking out of them is minuscule, so be no difference to anything up there. Those rivers do run all the time. 
but uh, you can only revert right up to the very top, so there wouldn't be much change in anything. But the huge change, as far as the ecosystems go, is there is 10 million hectares of prickly acacia tree. Mm. Between that and the pigs, the cassowaries are doomed, the dunnets are doomed, the turtles are doomed in North Queensland. Well, at least we will rescue the flora and fauna of inland North Queensland with this scheme mm. because we can't irrigate the whole area, but we mm. just irrigate the areas along the rivers so the seeds can't get away. So we've solved the weed problem, not just for now, but forever. So we can take out the existing trees now and know that they will not be replenished by seed coming down the river. Of course, the river banks will now be under irrigation, uh, irrigated pasture. Um, so the answer to the worst environmental holocaust in the nation's history, the prickly acacia tree, and the pigs are not far behind, but there'll be a huge hole torn in the pigs because they're just running rampant, eating little kangaroos, eating the donuts, mm. uh, eating all of our flora, fauna, uh, and having a shot at, at uh, small cattle as well, um, uh, unfortunately and sadly as well. But, uh, but so the tremendous difference uh, will change uh, as a result of this. And once you get the Flinders River, we can untake a little tiny bit of water out of it. Mm. So the floods will just be a little bit less devastating uh, and the river will be dry at the end of the year no matter what we do. So uh, not much change to nature at all. Mm. But in vitally important uh, tool in the battle against the prickly tree and the pigs will be created here. Those farms that are run in line right along the rivers, mm. pigs won't be able to cross. And uh, all we've got to do now is shoot them out at the watering points. It's, in, it's quite interesting though, Bob. You, you We're talking about the uh, new Bradfield scheme and talking about pigs next you'll be saying that pigs can fly I mean, so it's the sort of the same thing isn't it i, I can't help but you can use that later on if you like you can yeah, use it one later on said we've got to get rid of cattle because cattle mm. uh, are stomping koalas to death mm. um, um now i'm trying to get on to him because i really want to contact him because i you know have desperate need uh, with uh, my cattle, I've desperate need for these tree climbing cattle. You know, they can climb up and stomp a koala. Well, they're vicious. They are very vicious but, animals. Uh, tree climbing cattle, you know, but they, they're enormously valuable to us because, you know, they can eat the leaves of the trees and they don't have to graze on the ground. But, uh, but uh, there you go, you know, mm. the answers that are out there that I didn't know about, but they're on these tree climbing cattle. Well, you so see, you've got the pigs that can pigs that can fly. You've got the tree climbing cattle. I mean, it's a it's a terrible, it's a very hard life that uh, you guys go through every day. Then you've got to wash that down with a beer or two. I mean, it's just shocking. But I, we admire you for your intestinal fortitude, just getting through this and, time. And also, we've got up here. Uh, um, 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 Crocodiles that can read signs. Um, it says crocodiles beware, um, and um, so uh, the crocodiles know when they see that sign that they don't go there. But there was one fifteen footer underneath that sign uh, at um, at uh, um, I think it was Mission Beach. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it's, not all of them can read and write. Not all. Of them. It's a very scary part of the world. Now, tell us about the food bowl concept. I mean, Tony Abbott was a great supporter of the food bowl, uh, and especially for North Queensland. What do we need to make it happen? I, Peter Critlin, I, I watched her in a rage some months ago because she made the decision to give the um, National Party people $540 million for water, and they spent the $540 million and there's no water. There's not a single dam. And uh, I hope Scott Morrison doesn't mind me saying this, but I think he'd probably like it. I said, Scott, where is the $540 million for water? And he was treasurer, so. Um, 
And he said, it's gone. I said, where did it go? And he said, I'm not going to tell you. And I said, if I was you, I wouldn't tell me either. Oh, it's gone. But there's another 400 million that has been spent on looking at dams. And I mean, the Liberal Party particularly. I mean, it's funny, but it's not funny. Every single election for 31 years, they've told us that they're going to build dams. And we still haven't got a dam. Now, there is a dam starting in March next year. The charts tell us where. And I only had the power for nine days. And I was able to get a dam out of it in nine days. Um, and, uh, um, but <clears throat> we fight on. But um, for 31 years, the Liberals have been there. No dams. The ALP, well, they've been there for 31 years in the state, effectively. And... They, uh, they didn't build a dam, actually, mm. but then they pulled it down. So, you know. But we, you say we breed rocket scientists. They're, they're all rocket scientists, aren't they? Well, the record will read that mm. 31 years in this country, we closed down every single sophisticated industry. We wrecked every single agricultural industry, with the possible exception of cotton, uh, it's not going ahead, but it's not going backwards. All the others are going backwards. Dairy's down, shoot cones down, cattle's down. Wool's almost gone from this country. The one asset that carried this country's economy for uh, 200 years was completely destroyed by Paul Keating. Mm. Uh, um, he wrecked it comprehensively. 172 million sheep, now we've got 62 million sheep. That's all that's left. And uh, about half of them are not wool sheep. They're just fat lambs. Mm. So uh, a tragedy, a tragedy created by politicians, and it was never restored by the incoming LNP. They've been there now, as I say, for 31 years. But uh, but there's no secondary industry, and, of course, uh, primary industry is vanishing. We do have quarrying. You know, we do have quarrying. We're very big in quarrying. That is the lowest common denominator mm. Mm. in an economy. Mm. It's the simple moron economies like quarry. No, no, they, they let other people come in and pour in. Mm. Uh, let me just give you a figure. The three big export items, obviously, are iron ore, coal, and gas. Um, now, gas brings in 30 billion, is that right? No, this year, sorry, $65 billion this year. It's almost as big as coal. It comes in Australia. And it boomerangs back out again. We get nothing out of it because we sold it all. Well, it's not like quarrying where, you know, you've got people working in the quarry, although with automated vehicles, they, they might get like gas, so we get nothing out of it at all. Mm. Uh, transfer pricing means no taxation. And uh, if there are no employees, there's no payroll tax. So all you're down to is mineral royalties. But let me just come back to gas. So here's the big three, right? Um, 65 billion gas, 70 billion coal, 90 billion iron ore. They're the three big ones. None of them even remotely close to them. Uh, next one's aluminium, which is more or less announced. It's, uh, it's closing down uh, electricity prices too on Australia. Uh, but it's only 10 billion. Let me go back to gas. Out of $65 billion production, we get around $3.5 billion. Qatar, the country in the Middle East, is the other biggest gas exporter on earth. They produce almost identical amount that we produce. Um, they get $29 billion a year out of their gas. We get a bit over $3 billion for our gas. So that's wages, payroll, tax, mm. everything, all combined. You end up with three billion in Australia. In Quota, you end up with near enough to thirty billion. And um, I mean, I deeply regret to say it, but uh, this bloke I've got a lot of time and respect for, and I like personally Barnaby Joyce. And I don't know what how he arrived at giving the odd stage two and stage three to China, uh, but it's gone. You know, um, I don't know how much in water rights has gone overseas. But, um, but the gas, 
What a terrible tragedy. You sold mm. it for six cents mm. and you're buying it back for $16.60 and we can't afford to buy it. So the Northwest Mineral Province is collapsing mm. because we can't afford to buy the gas. Bob, how do you think the Queensland election will go and how do you think the minor parties will fare? <sighs> um, you know, I obviously I know a lot of people that uh, are very good commentators uh, um, and Polls are very, very bad for small parties. I, I, I don't know why. Mm. Uh, when I say small parties, well, I really don't think that KP and Pauline Hanson are small parties in the northern half of the state. Um, yes, 10, 20 seats in the northern half of the state. So even though it's completely dominated Queensland by the southeast corner, um, <clears throat> the swing seats are in the north. So the election will be decided in the north. Um, in Brisbane, just everyone I speak to says that the Labor Party could win three off the Liberals, maybe four. Mm-hmm. But then again, two of those could go to the Greens. The Greens have already got one. So if you're looking at a natural coalition of the Greens and Labor, um, they will come out of that southeast corner with an extra five or six seats. Since the ALP, uh, and admittedly, CFMEU, my union, taking out trad, you know, it's helped them in the north. But I don't, it was too late, too little, too late mm. to take trad out mm. um, to rescue their position in the north. They got 31%. In the last election, the ALP in North Queensland, and the 15 seats up here. Uh, KP and One Nation, we have a very tight exchange of preferences. We got um, um, 30.5%, and the Liberals got 27%. So, you know, there's, the ALP is not going to get 31% this time. No mm. way. Mm. So they will drop down. I mean, I would think clearly that um, ourselves and One Nation um, uh, up here uh, will go forward somewhat and the Liberals will go forward somewhat. But um, as to who wins the seats, we are in a very powerful position because we get One Nation's preferences. Mm. And if the Liberals come last, we get their preferences over Labor. And if Labor comes last, we get their preferences over the Liberals. Mm. So that makes us looking very, very strong in four or five seats mm. on top of what we already hold, which is arguably four seats. Mm. Um, so in summary, it's going to be very, very interesting because everyone's saying they're going to pick up seats in the southeast corner that uh, Greens Labor uh, access. Mm. Um uh, no one's denying that we move forward to KP very, very strongly, particularly in the greater Townsville area mm. where four of those swing seats are. We already hold one of the Townsville seats, but we're going after the other four. Two of them uh, are in the coal fields, um, and uh, we're very, very strong in coal fields. I'm a very proud flag wave member of the CFMEU, which a lot of people don't like, but that's the way it is. I worked as a miner as a young bloke, and uh, um, you know, I think you know uh, we, as an aspirational class, miners are not working class; they're aspirational class. We, as an aspirational class, must have solidarity and a strong bargaining position, and we must have arbitration. And uh, the very sad thing about Australia is the arbitration was taken away from the farmers, mm. and it's been seriously undermined for the aspirational class as well. So while the farmers got no arbitration, no mm. rights to protect themselves, um, the workers still have rights to protect themselves, but those rights are not very good these days. Um, and remember, people say, oh, our huge wage structure has destroyed the country. We'll never be able to do anything. Wage is a very small component. Everything's mechanised these days. Mm. I got lost in a sugar mill. We employed four, 500 people once upon a time. 
I got lost in the sugar milk. Admittedly, it was at night time, but it's sugar. <laughs> and I, 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 I couldn't find anyone. I worked for two minutes, and I didn't see a single person. Mm. I went like, you know, it's all under controls from a control room. Um, there's very little labour, um, you know, um, in industry these days. In mining, you know, some will argue it's as high as 22%. I would argue it's as, uh, around 10% of the cost structure is labour costs. And I, our greatest base when we were in government, uh, as country stroke national party, our greatest base was the highest wages paid anywhere in the world were paid in Queensland. That was our base. Now it's defined as the problem. Mm. What's your vision for Queensland over the next uh, decade? We will seize control. And um, North Queensland, like California, there's 100,000 people living in California. And a lot of people said they're too small to form a separate state. I think you'd be aware that California is the biggest agricultural producing state on earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has complete control of the maybe one of the biggest industries on earth, the entertainment industry, is totally based on California, mm-hmm. almost totally. The Silicon Valley, the uh, communications industry, is almost totally run out of uh, California. Um, and uh, most of California is desert, was desert. They built dams and diversions, mm. <laughs> Bradfield schemes. Um, but the Bradfield scheme... In New South Wales, the Bradfield Scheme is the Clarence River Diversion. In South Australia, it's the Bradfield's alternative, which is to get a big ditch up and fill Lake Eyre with water, which will make it rain in the centre of Australia. It's Bradfield option two. The revised Bradfield Scheme, which irrigates all of Central and North Queensland. The bridging scheme which is the Bradfields in Western Australia. The Orden and Fitzroy Rivers are diverted, um, dammed and diverted. Um, um, and there's huge underground aquifers which can complement that water supply. Ernie Bridge was the architect of that scheme. Um, interesting character. He's a senior cabinet minister in the West Australian government. He was the first Australian. And the only first, first, first Australian to be appointed a minister and a very senior minister at that. But Bridgie, like myself, just reached a point where the party system was looking after Perth. The party system here looks after Brisbane, and uh, eventually you just can't live with it any longer. And you've got to go back to being the country party or the North Queensland party or whatever. Uh, we're calling ourselves KP. And all of Western New South Wales now is under the Shooters and Farmers Party. and. Uh, Almost all of North Queensland and the area is under the KP. So we're getting there. We're getting there. And um, when I look at what the little tiny party that was born up here called the Labor Party did for the state, um, there are very few governments anywhere in the world did for Queensland what the Labor Party did for Queensland. And they split in two and we all ended up in the country party, Kevin Rudd's family and mine, mm-hmm. I think two of them. And ended up in the country party, and uh, and I think there are very few governments in the world that did for Queensland what the country party, particularly Bajonki Peterson and Leo Hilcher, and um, as a public servant, uh, did for um, for Queensland. Um, we created the coal industry out of nothing. We're a coal importing country. Um, we created the aluminium industry out of nothing. Um, um, we. Um, created the sugarcane industry out of a wilderness. Um, We did just wonderful, marvellous things. We instituted in North Queensland, um, uh, our party, the prawn and fish farming industry of Australia, was born up here in North Queensland, uh, a modern industry. And funnily enough, we put the first stand-line solar system in Australia. I think we could have taken the wrong turn there, but... um, (laughs) um, um, but all the same, there's, there's great uses mm. for that in isolated situations. Mm. So my dream is that um, um, 
we create a world of wonder, hope, and excitement. That a young bloke didn't have two bob to his name, um, um, dropped out of university, um, and uh, worked as a labourer in the mines at Mount Isa Mines. Within 20 years, um, he could own 250,000 acres of cattle stations um, without owing any debt on it. Um, he uh, was floating his own mining company and um, and later on he became the second uh, ranking minister in the Queensland government. I know those things to be true because that bloke happens to be me. Mm. But it breaks my heart that the young people, the aspirational classes that I was, I wasn't frightened to go out there and work with my hands in the mines and do the hard yards. Um, but I was working to make it better for me, and I hope to make it better for my country. Um, and, uh, um, and I want to turn us back into a... You, you can't take up any leases now. It's mm. impossible for a bloke working in the mines to take up a mining lease. That, that cannot occur in this country. Um, 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 we had ballot systems happening every year. We'd be big dam, and we'd ballot out 400 farming blocks. So a young bloke would get up and go. Mm -hmm. He'd go in the ballot, he'd win the ballot, and he'd be worth half a million dollars instantaneously. But uh, then he had to make it work. Um, so we were the land of freedom, hope, mm. fun, and opportunity. Um, there were no gun laws in Queensland at all. Mm. To give you an idea, there was no breathalyzer tests in Queensland. This wasn't ancient history. This was in 1990. There was no gun laws in Queensland. We had no deaths with guns. We had eight, and Victoria had 54 mm. draconian laws. Mm. So it was a land of fun, hope, and excitement. Um, you didn't get thrown in jail for chopping down a tree, uh, which you needed to make a table um, in your house uh, or to make a shed. You didn't get thrown in jail for that or to knock the top of the tree over to feed your cattle. You didn't get put in jail for that. You didn't get put in jail for shooting a deadly snake in your house or a crocodile in your backyard. Reading a book, of course. <laughs> yeah, anyway, you, you get you get where I'm going yeah. and you know what I'm saying. But uh, that place of wonder, hope and excitement, uh, the sort of people that went up to Kokoda outnumbered mm. uh, 15 to 1 with one machine gun and we won. Mm. We won at great cost to ourselves. Um, that's, it's still there. All those things are still there. And we just got to sweep away mm -hmm. what we got in Canberra and in Brisbane. We just got to sweep it away. Bob Catter, uh, a pleasure talking. We'll do this again and we'll really get into some nitty gritty. Uh, Queensland, besides those tree climbing cattle, besides the flying pigs, besides the crocodiles that can read, which makes them even more dangerous, it's a wonderful, wonderful state. You're just doing a fantastic job. Keep up the great work and thank you very much. God bless all listeners. And that's it for BNAP Today, October the 28th, 2020. I'm Mike Ryan.